The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. As a special thanks to all of our patrons, we are giving away one item from the Professional Casual Network store at teespring.com slash stores slash professional casual. All you have to do to enter is be a patron. That can be as little as a dollar a month, and every month we will give away an item of your choice from the store. Follow us at patreon.com slash professional casual. I also want to give a quick shout out to our friends Alexa and Cynthia at the Within the Pages podcast where they talk about specifically YA fantasy, which is what we're talking about here, what we're telling here. They focus on reviews and kind of deep dives into YA fantasy. The third episode was a really cool one about just things that they had read or recommend or they were going to read soon, which was really cool to get an idea of what other things are out there if you're into fantasy and just cool stories. So check out Within the Pages with Alexa and Cynthia. Welcome to episode 16 of Big Fiction Energy. I almost just said the wrong podcast name. <laughs> which, which one are we recording right now? I, I can't remember. Know. I almost said a grim podcast of Perilous Adventure, <laughs> but that's not this That's not this show that you're listening to. Another great one that you host, though. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I think that's a good show, too. Whew, chapter 16. I've been doing this for a while now. It's been a minute. We started recording this in what? December or something? It was definitely winter. Yeah, it was winter time. Yeah, you were like, "Hey, let's do this." You know who would be great? Tim. We're There's like, orcs right. in this. Tim will do it, and he was like, "Sure." Yeah, yeah that's pretty much how it yep. went. It's actually. like the whole story. Yeah, <laughs> I know I've told the story at least once before on this, but no, I feel like aside from like our relationship, BFE is like the longest standing commitment that I've had in a really long time because parenthood doesn't really count. <laughs> like an because you're obligated, like you have to. They're going to die if you don't take care of them. I mean, I feel like there's plenty of examples out there when people just gave up being a parent, unfortunately. Hey, <laughs> I'm sitting right here. Wow. <laughs> Ouch, babe. Thanks a lot. I wasn't calling, what? I'm not calling you out. Um, I, there have certainly been uh, stories of children that, you know, are able to kind of forage for themselves and can find chicken wings, for instance, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night. doesn't matter the time. <laughs> but then there are people that like we that's why CPS is a thing. Right. It's yeah. like, yeah, you feel the obligation to, but not everybody does. That's true. I'm just saying for me personally, this is a really longstanding relationship. OK, that's, that's great. That's the point I'm trying to make. Jeez. She was. <laughs> I like it. OK, JB. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, I was going to say we're like kind of on like the downward swing, not of like, yeah, we're over the hill. right now, but this is the last quarter of chapters in chapter 16. Of I just, 20. I think of the roller coaster of emotions we've been on thus far. And it's like, we still have four to go. Yeah. We're um, not done with the roller coaster of emotions. Not by a long shot. I have been actually since <laughs> I think chapter six and I've just been dead inside ever since. <laughs> yep. <laughs> End of six or seven, I forget which exactly, but pretty Maybe early on, Tim has just been coming because he said he would. It's not. Yeah, I'm just a husk of my former self, really. 
Good job, Dan. Yep. Jeez. Well, we can jump right into this episode's question. What is that? So the other day, at time of recording, we had a big announcement in the nerd world. Tim and I did a live stream of yeah. a live stream that sort of worked where we... Uh, if they allowed us to live stream it, it would have worked perfectly. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was blocked. We did a live stream reaction to an announcement from Atomic Mass Games, the guys that make uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol. If you watch any of my vlogs of nerd news on the Patreon, patreon.com slash professional casual. Talk about this game all the time or my own blog at dancoleauthor.com. I talk about this game all the time. And we recorded our reaction to the announcement that ended up being X-Men being added to that game. And Tim and I freaked out like teenagers. Yeah. Like literally. Oh, so great. We were so excited. So to kind of go along with that and that hype right now, uh, today's question is who is your favorite member of the X-Men? I'm pretty sure I've mentioned mine on here a few times. We'll get that out of the way. Mine's easy. It's Iceman. It's Cyclops. Oh, no. Iceman. Iceman okay. is by far my... He's always been my favorite. Ice power. Anything ice powers is super cool. I love it. Uh, I Even to the point, I remember playing... Uh, my brother was playing Metroid Prime 3 on the Wii, and he couldn't defeat this one boss that was like a guy with ice powers. And I was like, I don't I don't want to defeat this guy. <laughs> he he's seems, super he cool. He's pretty chill. Uh, Except Mr. Freeze. I'm not a big fan of Mr. Freeze. Oh, he's not even like a... He doesn't really have ice powers. He just has an ice gun. Yeah. Dumb. But he's got to be like refrigerated. And relationship issues. Yeah, he's ugh, yeah. He's not my favorite. Iceman from Mega Man is also cool. Yeah. You had a, a really <laughs> fancy glass of him for a while, right? I did. Uh, Iceman from Mega Man 3's... Uh, actually, Mega Man 1. First Mega Man. He was in the first Mega Man? Yeah. Oh. Um the power that you had have to get to defeat him was just um, hot dishwasher water. Hot, hot dishwasher man he had to defeat yeah. first? Yep. And that's nice. how you defeated that glass, I'm pretty certain. <laughs> Put it right in the dishwasher right away. Yeah. <laughs> um. So quick story about Dan's love of Iceman to buy Tim some time so that he can come up with an I, answer. I, I have two answers ready to go. Oh, dang. Um, you have more than one answer? Well, yeah. So well, three Technically. So number one, Cyclops is, is my favorite, but only a very specific time right. frame of, of Cyclops. Uh, Deadpool has been my longest standing favorite. Mm. Um, but Phantom X uh, is probably my favorite for what he's been in. I huh. like him 100 percent of the time he's been in comics. Mm. I, there's nothing I disliked about him or his story. Deadpool has been great and awful. Yes. Uh, Cyclops has also been incredible and a blank piece of paper that's really boring. So <laughs> that true, yeah. Most, Literally nothing but his powers. Most intense appreciation is Cyclops in a very specific storyline. Uh, most longest running uh, relationship commitment is Deadpool. And then Phantom X is my most reliable. Ooh, really okay. thorough answer. Yeah. I like it. It's got tears to that answer. Well, that bought me a little bit of time. So thank you. <laughs> when you first say like favorite character from the X-Men, I immediately think of the 90s cartoon yes. because I grew up on that. I always really loved Rogue in that. Okay. Because she was like super strong and she could fly and then she could like suck people's powers out. She had that crazy really screen cool. she did all the time. Yeah. And she's just like, I don't know. I really liked her a lot. But then I don't know. Does Blink count as one of the X-Men? Because she was yeah. in Exile. Yeah, I said a member. Yeah, she was yeah. an X-Men at some point. Yeah. So she was always really cool. You had me read all those Exiles comics and I just liked like she was pink and she could open up 
portals and crap like that. Blink is really cool. Blink, the yeah. fact that she was, too. I always really yeah. like Blink. The fact that she was pink always bothered me though, because originally her skin was gray and she had pink hair. And right. over time, colorists like forgot that and she turned more and more pink. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. And that always kind of bugged me. Yeah. But yeah, she was an X-Men in the Age of Apocalypse storyline. That's where she first appeared. Gotcha. She's never been in like the regular universe. Yeah. Which is interesting to me that no one has done that. And I have a certain level of respect for Jean Grey as the Phoenix. Because I yeah. feel like it's hard for me because I don't love movie Jean Grey because she's like, oh, no, I can't do Another it. And it's like, paper. seriously, like right. you have the potential of being one of the strongest mutants in the world. But like you you can't levitate a glass. OK. Um, <laughs> but especially like you had me read the Dark Phoenix Saga. That's pretty awesome. If you're going to read comics, you have to read the Dark Phoenix Saga. I would Come agree on. with that. Yeah. Class. I literally read that in my graphic novel class in college. That's really awesome. I mean, there's already nice. been two X-Men movies about it. You know what I mean? I like, know. And they were both. I didn't even watch Dark Phoenix, the newest one. I, I heard yeah. nothing good about it. It's very skippable. Because <laughs> I, I remember when Apocalypse came out, I was pretty excited for it because X-Men were they were doing OK. The Days of Future Past was pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, had Iceman in it more than five seconds. So I was pretty yeah. happy about that. And then Apocalypse, the trailer looked good, except Apocalypse himself. I mean, it, he was horribly cast. Anyway, Oscar Isaacs, who was also Poe Dameron from Star Wars, was like that. Really? He's apocalypse. Like, no, not even close. And then the movie was just trash. It was awful. Yeah. I, this Quicksilver scenes and all of them were always very good. Yeah. Mm. The two movies um, I saw him in. Those are the only good. Well, he was the only good part of apocalypse. The one scene in the mansion with Quicksilver. The rest of it. Yeah. Don't even bother. It was so bad. Is that the Quicksilver that was played by Evan Peters? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He was great as Quicksilver. Yeah. He was really, really great. I thought Aaron Johnson. I think is Aaron Johnson is his name. I thought he was good. Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah. Was his name. I thought he was perfectly fine as Quicksilver as well. He in just the Avengers movies. Yeah. In yeah. Avengers yeah. Age of Ultron. But it was just he didn't get the same personality. Right. That. And well, I liked the personality. Yeah. Off immediately. So mm -hmm. right. they didn't put a lot there. And I really like that actor because he played Kick-Ass. Uh, Kick oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kick-Ass is the name of a comic. OK. Um, <laughs> but uh, and I loved that comic and I love Mark Miller's work and yes. his stuff translates very well to movies. So 100 percent. I really thought he did good there, but I almost felt like he was too buff as Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. I thought it made sense. Like, yeah. The speed, like he should have a lot of muscle for how he moves. There was one comic artist who it was, he did an ultimate comic. It was the ultimates and Quicksilver was on the team. I don't know how to say his name properly. Everybody calls him Joe mad, Joe Madeira or something like that. Oh, okay. And he got a lot of crap. He, they showed like before the comic came out, Marvel was showing some of this concept art and they're like, why are Quicksilver's legs so huge? Like his thighs were massive. And he was like, have you ever looked at a runner? Yeah. Like you look at an Olympic level runner, their thighs are huge because running is a majority. Like it's a whole body thing, but so much of it is your thighs. Yeah. It makes sense that you'd have big legs. Like he should be muscular. Like, well, that. and very specifically, uh, this brings us back to the old adage in age of Ultron, Quicksilver's kind of primary focus was saving a lot of people very quickly. Right. Which really proves that adage of thick thighs saves lives. <laughs> That's true. Fair. I can't tell you how many times my thighs have saved my phone from going into the toilet. Wow. I'm just saying. Getting real personal today. I'm, Listeners need to know. Just yeah. don't recline on the toilet. I'm not reclining, <laughs> but. I, how, 
So you don't just set your phone on like the little shelf, like next to your glass of chocolate milk? <laughs> Why are you bringing what? chocolate milk into the bathroom? Well, like when I go to the bathroom, I bring a glass of chocolate milk and a comic book and my phone and I set them on the little tray. No, I don't do that. On the toilet yeah. tank tray. I need to get one of those apparently. <laughs> on the toilet you're, tank tray, do you toilet. sit backwards? No, you have it. You will not backwards. No, I face the wall. Oh, the and I use the top toilet of the tank. bowl? Yeah. No. no, the tank, I mean. Yeah, it's a table. That's what it's there for. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that that's exactly what it was intended to be. Oh used my for. god. Do you put your toilet seat on backwards as well? Because they're designed to sit on a particular way. No, I just, just find it really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, it's super uncomfy. Uh, well, kind of. Like <laughs> once you're into the story you're reading or, you know, fair. eating a bowl of cereal or something, you kind of forget about how uncomfy it is. What about like the thirteenth time you've been interrupted while you're on the toilet? Because Yeah, that's just <laughs> that's why I watch TikToks. So I can usually get in maybe a fifth of a TikTok before I'm interrupted. <laughs> So, so we had, I said Iceman, of course, Tim had Cyclops slash Deadpool slash Phantom X. Mm-hmm. And then Dan, you had Rogue and Gene Blink. as Phoenix. And Blink. And Blink, right. Yeah. I feel like I don't have enough answers. Right. I Well, I have a lot more. Like, there's so I many. I feel like, because it's impossible to just choose, like, in the entire X-Men realm, right. who's your favorite. Well, that's, no, why I, that's why like, I specifically said someone who has been a member of the X-Men. Right. Because, like, there's a New Mutants comic sitting right here that I can see. Only one of them was ever an official X-Man. Right. Which one? Cannonball. Oh, okay. The rest have been... You know what they say about Cannonball. I've heard something very specific about yeah. that. He, he's near and vulnerable when he's blasting. <gasps> right. Yeah. <laughs> Someone should put that on a shirt. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. We did we that. Did. We did that. Yeah, if you haven't checked out our store yet, what are you doing? Also, I don't think we have any BFE merch at the time of recording. So I want to hear what people would want other than just like the cover of the book <laughs> would probably be a good one. Yeah, actually, think about yeah. It. So yeah, if there's something else that you think would stand out, we can make an image or if it's just something in text that I think would be cool to be on a shirt or a hat or a mug. Yeah. Whatever. A face mask, a fanny pack. I mean, lots, there's so many things. We just got access to a bunch more stuff too. So now we can do hats and tote bags and shower curtains and all sorts That's of stuff. That's amazing. Very cool. That is incredible. So what would you want on what would, what would be on apparel or, or something that would entice you to buy it? So you can say, look, I support this thing because I like it. Yeah. Hit us up. Let us know. Was it, you can send us, you know, tweet at us at top tier casual. Yeah. Email professional casual at gmail.com. Yeah, email or Instagram, the professional casual. Head over. I mean, go to our website, professionalcasual.com, And then there's a contact us link. Yep. Easy. So easy. Your grandmother could do it. I don't think my Probably. grandmother could do it, though. She's really old. She didn't even have a computer. She doesn't have internet. So we're on to chapter 16. Yes, called Discoveries. Okay. All right. So we'll find out what that means. Oh, wait. Ronan's missing. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Laney woke up in the middle of the night and saw his door was open and he was not there. But his sword was and she was like, there's no way he would go anywhere without his sword. You know what? He probably was not gone at all. He probably does have the blessings of the void. And was just obfuscating himself when he sleeps because he's very self-conscious about his nasal passage noise. Yeah. I like it. That's why his sandals and sword were still there. He, uh, he was still there. He was still there the whole time. Yeah. Just obfuscated. And like maybe, uh, you know, he sleeps with his mouth open and he's been like burned before by that. Like people like sticking like centipedes right. in there or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Someone wow. stuck a centipede primal in there one time. He's not playing no more. Can't get those khakis out of your teeth. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's actually jump in the chapter 16 here. See what kind of discoveries we're talking about. Ooh. Lanny and Cass sat at the table in the den, eating some hearty bread, salt pork, and drinking cold tea. Once they had returned to the den, they had realized how hungry they were. Cass fed the group relatively well on the road here, but prepared foods were a necessity at this point. Well, my idea didn't work, Lanny said between mouthfuls. Got anything else? As a matter of fact, I do. While we were going to the authorities, I was already thinking of what we'd do if this happened in the wilds. Cass finished her pork, got up, and took her plate to the basin to wash. What would that be? Lanny asked before taking another huge bite of bread. We need to look for clues, Cass said without turning back to Lanny. She worked the pump to bring some water into the basin and then proceeded to wipe the plate clean with a rag. What kind of clues? We'll know when we look. I didn't suggest it last night because it was dark and I was a bit scared. Doesn't seem as scary in the daylight. But what will I be looking for? Lanny used the last bit of bread to sop up the grease left behind by her pork. Oh, anything out of the ordinary. Cass turned back around after she set her plate in the rack to dry. She leaned on the wooden counter and stretched her neck, looking up at the ceiling. Da used to teach me to track animals while hunting, or to keep up on where the nasties were. I think we could kind of do the same to find who took Ronan. They must have come into the den. We know Ronan didn't leave on his own. Oh, oh! Lainey nearly choked on her bread with excitement. She forced the offending food down her throat and coughed. (laughs) I heard scratching last night. It was in my dream, and then I heard it after I woke up. Okay, good. We can look for what might have caused that scratching. At least we have a place to start now. Let's go look. Lanny jumped up from the table and started towards the bedroom hallway. Lanny. Cass called after her. Lanny stopped, spun around, and looked at Cass, puzzled. Take care of your dishes. We're guests here. Brutus smiled as he returned to Minotown. In the mid-morning, the area was bustling. Small grass field was being tended to by a handful of young minnows, and there were at least a score milling about. He saw Bubla sitting at the same fire as the night before, except the fire wasn't lit this cool morning. Minotown, as the section of set, was very similar to the rest of the large town, except the buildings were larger, sturdier, and the area was built on a flat part of the town instead of among the hills like the rest. Buildings had slanted thatch roofs, all with large covered porches and spacious windows. None were built into the ground like the burrow or the den. The ground around the buildings had been flattened by minotaur hooves. Hardy grasses were only able to grow in the least traveled spaces. The need for a segregated area to grow grass within the walls was immediately apparent. Well met, young Brutus. Bubel greeted Brutus as he approached the gathering in the square. He looked around and saw that the area he met the other minnows in the last night was the center of Minotown, their own square, and he was now surrounded by stalls of minotaurs selling all kinds of goods. Bubel sat in the middle by his extinguished fire, Eka across from him. It seemed to be a natural occurrence. Brutus paused for a moment, hesitant to go on. He felt guilty for leaving Lainey and Cass to find Ronan, but he felt they were capable. This mansha was something Brutus felt was extremely important to do, possibly even as important as finding Ronan. Brutus Brutus nodded to himself and decided that sometimes it was okay to be a little selfish. Good morning, Bubla. Eka. Where are Elena and Run? Brutus knocked horns with Bubla and Eka gently and took a seat on the carved log next to Bubla. Elena and Run are at work in the fields outside the walls today. Can be dangerous work, but they know what they're doing. Oh, well, I hope they return safely. Do we need them for the mancha? No, not really. We can do it with the three of us. Don't ask questions, though. Eka raised her eyebrows with a practiced look. We can't tell you anything. 
No one talks about the mancha with a young minnow before he does it. It's part of the tradition. You aren't to expect anything. Oh, I, I have no expectations. I, I've never gone into something like this with no information, but I'm excited to. Good. Use that energy. You'll need it. Now, follow us. Can I ask how long it takes? I, I do have pressing business I need to return to. No. Brutus helped the two older minotaurs to their hooves and felt an all-too-familiar worry creep into the back of his mind. Cass would be fine. Brutus trusted her training and skills that she developed during her time in the wilds. But Lanny, Brutus was as worried about her as he always was. Eka took his hand and Brutus looked back across the minotown towards the den, hoping his selfishness would not cause any problems. Yubla and Eka groaned and grunted their way off the seats and headed away from the fire to a structure. Brutus followed the two old minotaurs into a house. The inside was cozy, comfortable. The walls were covered in fabric dyed bright colors. The seating in the house was plush and covered in soft furs. Brutus wondered what animal they would have taken them from. For that matter, would minotaurs have killed the animals themselves? Brutus realized he had no idea how minotaurs conducted their lives. They were herbivores, and like him, meat had always repulsed him, and only fruits and especially green vegetables had been what he craved. But did minotaurs kill for carnivores in this communal living? Were they warriors or hunters or only peaceful farmers? I guess that's one more thing I'll learn here. Yubla and Eka passed through the living space of the house into a small room with nothing but another door. On his way through, Brutus saw the living space was opened to a large kitchen and contained a fireplace. On the walls were trophies and trinkets of strange design. Brutus assumed they had ceremonial or, or sentimental significance, but merely shrugged and continued that. As Brutus entered the small room, Bubla opened the door and stepped through, into darkness. Eka was facing away from Brutus. He was just about to ask her what to do next when she spun around and blew a powder into his face. This will help you connect, she said as Brutus coughed and screwed his eyes shut tight. <coughs> the old minotaur put a hand on Brutus's shoulder and led him through the doorway. Brutus kept his eyes shut from the stinging powder, but as he stepped through the dark door, he knew his life was changed forever. Lanny squatted on the floor, looking at markings in the wood. The two girls had been looking for clues for only a few minutes, and Lanny was already getting frustrated. What are we going to find that will tell us anything? It's not like whoever took Ronan was going to leave a calling card. Lanny huffed out a sigh. So I see scratches on the floor. I don't know what that means, other than whoever took Ronan had claws of some kind, which doesn't tell us much in a town of primals. <sighs> Just keep looking. Lanny was proving to be less of a partner in this endeavor than Cass thought she would be. When you see something out of the ordinary, let me know. Cass was just outside the window that faced the back of the den. She was looking around trying to find any tracks or other clues as to what kind of primal came in. She knew there wouldn't be much of anything to find outside the room, but she knew Lainey would, wouldn't know what she was looking for outside. This was bad. Her life had changed so much in the last few days. When they set off from the shantytown, Cass thought it was business as usual. She had no idea she would lose her whole family. Even Da was gone. The one constant in her life. She saw him taken away by that monster from Gaul, those mongers. Cass didn't know what they were, why they were after Lanny, but she knew she hated them. She had never been afraid of the Void before. Orthol had always been around. His use of the Void was normal. The mongers wielded it in a way altogether different and terrifying. The way Da had been lifted off his feet when that Void magic hit him. Cass would never forget what it looked like. Never forget how she felt seeing the raw power. Even still, she thought, with all the terrible things that had happened, there was one shining spot. Lanny. Cassa never felt about someone the way she did about Lanny. It was an immediate thing, the pull in her stomach she felt when she first saw Lanny taking the disguise off in the woods outside the shanty town, came back every time she was around. 
Even now, Lainey was infuriatingly impatient, didn't know what she was doing, Ken still wouldn't trade this time for anything. Well, nearly anything. But then Ronan showed up. He seemed to have the answer to everything. He knew so much, and that sword, he seemed invincible with it. And just when Cass was beginning to feel safe again, he vanished. Now it was up to her and Lainey to find him, probably rescue him, if he was still alive. Cass shook her head to clear her thoughts. She hunched down to get a closer look at the ground at the base of the window. Her eyebrows shot up and she grabbed a small tuft of fur. Aha! Cass popped up in the window, holding the tuft. As usual, Lainey jumped right to fight mode instead of being startled and Ronan's sword sang as it just drew from the scabbard. The two laughed together at how ridiculous she looked. What's that? Lainey asked, sheathing the sword and sitting on the bed. A tuft of hair. It might be our primal. What color is it? I can't see it with the sun behind you. Well, it looks brown. There's not much. Kind of dark. Well, at least it's something. What do we do with it now? Lainey sat up on the bed, smiling. I don't know. Cass said, looking at the fur. I hadn't thought that far ahead. Brutus blinked the powder out of his eyes, tears of irritation streaming down his face. He looked around and saw himself in a pristine field of delicious-looking grasses. The sky was a strange pink, with wispy blue clouds slowly floating by overhead. Far in the distance, he saw rolling hills surrounding him. A single tree grew a few hundred yards ahead. He squinted, thinking he saw a figure of some kind next to the tree. Brutus shrugged and started walking towards the tree and the figure. A few steps later, he found himself by the tree, which is actually in a small glade with a pool of crisp, cool water next to it. The figure he thought he saw next to the tree was a large minotaur, a minotaur with horns very similar to Brutus' own. The other minnow was heavily built like Brutus, but his light brown fur was shaggy, unkept. He was armed and armored as a warrior. He lightly held a long, heavy club covered in metal studs. His armor was made of many metal plates held together by a piece of fabric. He also wore a war mask, completely covering his facial features, other than a long beard falling down from his equine jaw. Young Brutus, it is an honor to finally meet you. I am Toro, and have been waiting for you for a long time. Toro stepped forward to knock horns with Brutus. I'm sorry to have made you wait. I knew nothing of the Mancha until now. I am eager to learn. Good. There is much for you to catch up with. Taro said as he placed a large hand on Brutus's forehead, forcing the younger minnow to close his eyes. When he opened them again, he was in the middle of a vicious battle. Voidspawn, orcs and goblins fought tooth and nail against an army of primals. Brutus saw Toro wield his club with devastating efficiency. The Minotaur swung the weapon with brutal force, splitting skulls and breaking weapons with every powerful attack. The other primals were clad in half or full plate armor and fought with the vigor of those with nothing to lose. The Voidspawn outnumbered the primals greatly, but the warriors represented the human-animal hybrids were of the finest caliber. Brutus watched the battle swirl around him, the combatants seemingly unaware of his presence. He watched a goblin charge a wounded lupine lying on the bloody ground. It brandished a nasty-looking spear. The goblin's face was stuck in a rictus grin, its yellowed teeth sharp and drooling. The goblin lunged the prone primal, but without thinking, Brutus threw his bulk at the goblin at the last moment, deflecting the charge. The goblin's spear caught Brutus in the ribs, instantly drawing blood. Brutus cried out in pain and shock, Ugh! not really expecting the spear to hurt him. He immediately put his large hand over the wound to staunch the bleeding. I I thought this was a vision. Brutus said out loud to himself as a bear primal, a Usaris, dispatched the goblin. Brutus looked at his hand, covered in blood seeping from his wound. The cut was not very deep, but it was ragged and would need stitching. The visions are real in your mind, Taro said to him. The warrior stood next to Brutus with his club resting on his shoulder. The battle around them had stopped. Everybody was holding still. 
This makes them real in a practical sense, Taro continued. The older minnow looked Brutus up and down and sighed. I sense great doubt in you, young Brutus, but deep down, you know who you are. Tell me. I... I am a mercenary, a bounty hunter. No. And the battlefield swirled away to take Brutus to another place. Hall looked the fur over in the burrow. Cass and Laney watched as the lupine examined the fur, holding it close to the lantern hanging from the wall. I feel like it looks familiar, but I just can't place it. A lot of primals have brown fur. Hall looked at the disappointed faces of the two human girls. Actually, it could be from an undercoat, which is lighter than the top coat. This fur is quite soft, which makes me think it's from an undercoat. So I would say the primal that left this is actually quite a bit darker. Yeah, you're looking for a primal with dark brown fur. So that rules out a lot of set. I'll look back to the girls whose faces had brightened, having at least something to go on. I'd say this rules out the bandits, badges, and most of the lupine, all of the avian primals, and the lionesses. What does that leave? Laney asked. The list of those not included sounded long, which of course was a good thing. Hall looked up, thinking hard. Quite a few things. The minnows, the usaris, monklings, musties. Oh, wait. Hall paused for a moment and took a long sniff of the tuft. Yeah, a musty. Oh, what the heck are musties? Hall blinked, confused at the interruption. What? Oh, smaller primals. Carnivores, long bodies, brown fur. Brutus got lost last night and one led him here. An annoying musty named Bren. Uh, never heard of him. Could they be it? Could it be him? Cass asked, her hand on her chin. No idea, but I can tell you where to find him if he's up. Musties are nocturnal. Laney and Cass followed the directions to a forested part of Set. Large trees with gnarled branches made a dark spot in the northwestern part of town. The trees had huge trunks and dome-shaped canopies perfect for primals to live in. Laney and Cass slowly made their way through the dark forest. All had told them it was known as the Monkwoods. This place seems creepier than Hope Springs, Cass said as she stepped over a large root. It's very out of place in the town, Laney said as she tripped over the same root. It's just so much darker than anywhere else within the walls. I've always felt at home in the woods, but this place is weird. Maybe because it's a primal wood, they've made it their home and we're humans out of place. Laney offered as she swatted a low twig out of her face. Could be. I'm used to untamed woods filled with animals, not primals. What's wrong with primals? An angry voice said from somewhere above them. Oh, nothing. This is just different for us. We weren't saying it was bad. Yeah, don't twist our words. Laney said, her eyebrows furrowed, hand moving to the sword at her waist. Just making sure. The voice was coming from deeper in the monk woods. Wouldn't want you to have a problem with primals. At least come down so we can see who we're talking to. We're looking for a musty named Bren. Oh, Bren, eh? A long-bodied, dark brown primal slunk down a tree a few meters ahead of them on a well-worn path. The primal had a triangular head and beady eyes. His teeth shone as he spoke. The musty was nearly the same height as Lanny. Never heard of him, Bren said. You fit the description Hall gave us. Laney stepped towards the musty. So is others around here. It don't matter. Bren stretched to his full height. Laney noticed a glint of a dagger on his belt. This here's the Monkwoods. Yumi's ain't invited. Bren's hand hovered over his dagger. Back to the matter. Yumi's ain't welcome and said at all. There's a reason us primals put up a wall. Lord Mel is allowing us to stay. You don't have the authority. Authority? Bren clasped at his chest in mock outrage. I don't need authority to kick you out of my woods. His hand shot to his belt and grabbed his dagger. 
Lainey saw the strike coming and stepped back to draw the sword to defend herself. Before the blade had left the scabbard, though, Renj stopped short, his jagged knife inches from Lainey's throat. Too slow, Hume. Renj said through his teeth. We just want help finding our friend, Cass said, nearly pleading. Her sword was now drawn as well. We have no desire to fight. Hall told us you helped Brutus the other night, so maybe you saw something. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Ren said, backing off Lanny, but still holding the dagger. He smiled with his wicked sharp teeth. Not my business what happens to Humes and Set, though. Time for you to leave. Looks like it. Wouldn't want to reduce the Musty population. Watch it, girl. Wouldn't want more Humes to go missing. The Musty narrowed his glowing eyes as Lanny and Cass backed away, leaving the monk woods. Ren bared his teeth as he put away his dagger. Brutus blinked and saw he was inside an old hut. The walls were lumber, the roof thatch with a hole for the smoke of the fire in front of him to escape through. Brutus saw the hut was comfortably furnished with a bed piled high with blankets and furs and a door in the floor to presumably led down to a larder underneath. The hut was warm and cozy and Brutus found himself suddenly tired. Before he had a chance to even think about sleep though, a shout from outside the hut brought him to attention. More shouts followed along with a ring of clanging steel. A fight, Brutus thought. He sprang to his hooves and went to rush out the door. Before he left, he noticed that hanging on the wall was a sturdy-looking club. The length of the larger mall was studded with metal rivets, the same as Toro's was. The club was long, nearly two meters from the handle to the end of the head. The length widened towards the tip, making it a very heavy bludgeoning weapon. Brutus hefted it with ease, even though it likely weighed upwards of 40 kilos. Brutus quickly tried a few practice swings and immediately liked it. It was similar to his previous weapon, his tried and tested shock baton, but much longer and heavier. The two-handed weapon felt right in his hands. Brutus threw back the curtain in the door of the hut to reveal chaos. A small minnow villa which is out on a plain was under attack by mounted goblins. Grey-green creatures rode mangy-looking hounds with huge heads and massive jaws that opened too wide. Renrex, Brutus recognized. Though they were a bit smaller, not as well-fed as the ones he fought in the woods days ago. These beasts were half-starved and their fur was falling out in clumps. Goblins riding them will hardly look better. The void spawn were wielding broken weapons, their armor hardly worth mentioning. Still, they were attacking a peaceful Minotaur village, and Brutus stomped out to defend his people. The first goblin to fall to his Kanabo, as the weapon was called, didn't even see it coming. Brutus rushed to Renrex, savaging an older minnow on the ground. The goblin on its back thrust a rusty spear at the Minotaur, but Brutus's Kanabo smashed up through the weapon into the goblin, pitching it from the makeshift saddle. The goblin landed with a heart thud on the packed ground and didn't get up. Renrek, on the other hand, roared at Brutus with his expanding mouth. Stench and saliva engulfed Brutus, who stood his ground. The Renreks he fought days ago were much larger, and Brutus was confident in his abilities here. He swung the club again, cracking it against the skull of the beast. This weapon felt good in his hands. It amplified his strength with its weight and length. The Renrek staggered back, shaking his head to clear it from the mighty blow. The beast crouched, ready to pounce Brutus, but the Minotaur leapt at the monster, bringing his club down on it again. This time the Renrek fell to the ground and stayed there. Brutus immediately whipped around to check on the Minotaur that had been attacked by the Goblin Cavalry. It was Toro. He was savaged. Large cuts and bruises covered his body. Thick Renrex saliva also covered him, infecting his wounds. The warrior looked up at Brutus, one eye swollen shut. Who are you? He forced out through a bloody mouth. I am a warrior. Brutus answered after a moment of thought, holding the Kanabo tightly. No! Toro was suddenly standing in front of Brutus, and again the world fell away.
Laney and Cass were walking back to the den, having gotten nowhere in the monk woods. Both were out of ideas, having followed their initial thoughts through to the logical conclusion. Both were downtrodden, walking with their heads down, watching their feet. Laney felt hopeless, out of ideas. Ronan had just appeared in her life, and now he was missing. Taken. Laney felt it was her fault, even though she knew she was being ridiculous. Hands striking her shoulders snapped her out of it. What? I said, what if he's not in set anymore? Not in set? Why do you say that? Well, I know we haven't looked anywhere, not even close, but I feel like we're hitting a wall here. If you took someone as well-known and as powerful as the Wanderer, would you keep him right near where you took him? Lenny looked at Cass for a moment, her eyes squinting. You know, that makes a lot of sense, right? I'm pretty smart sometimes. Have you ever kidnapped anyone before? Because not just anyone would think of that. Well, stop it. Of course not. Cass said, glowing. Let's go. Cass took off at a trot and Lenny scrambled to catch up. Two jogged out of set, nodding and waving to the guards at the gate. The primals, their species obscured by full-face helms, simply looked at each other and shook their heads. They watched the two young humans race out of the city, happy to see them go. Guess that's all of them gone, then. Heard the old man went missing. One of the guards said to the other. That minnow is still here, but he's okay. Been too many disappearances lately. Oh yeah, he was a big one. Wonder why he was with him. No clue, but I'm sure he'll change his mind soon enough. Heard he's doing a mantra today. I'm sure someone told them to stay away from the woods, right? Either way, two fewer humans and set is fine with me. Two guards chuckled and closed the gate. Even though the sun was still high in the sky, they looked out at the forest and towards the river, wary of what could be out there. Laning cast made their way towards the hills of Hope Springs. The two walked briskly. Cass was scanning the ground. Laney watched her. Cass suddenly stopped and crouched down. Laney almost crashed into her. She put her hands on, the, on her knees and bent over to see what Cass saw. To her, it looked like grass with some twigs and leaves from the nearby trees. Cass put her hand to the ground, looking intently. Without warning, she sprung up again, almost crashing into Laney yet again and headed off. What do you see? Laney asked as she caught up. Not much, but the footprint there seemed about Ronan's size. There was a footprint there? How could you see it? I didn't really see it. More like the effects of a foot there. The grass was flattened, and I felt a small indent from the ball of his foot. Like I said, it seemed about his size. We'll keep going this way and see if there are better signs. As long as we're back before dark, I'm sure we'll be fine. Wow, impressive. Can you teach me? Sure, but it mostly takes practice. Once you know what to look for, you just need to keep your eyes open. Lesson one, I guess. The two smiled at each other and continued toward Hope Springs. Once they got to the tree line, Cass slowed down again. Okay. Now I'm looking for more obvious signs. It's harder to not leave a trail in the woods. Broken branches, soft ground for footprints, torn pieces of clothing are common signs. Cass pointed to a broken twig jutting from a maple tree near the edge of the forest. See here? There's fresh sap at the break. That tells us it was broken recently. Cass explained. How recently? Laney asked, peering at the sap. This stuff usually dries up in a day or two at most, so not long ago. Could be what we're looking for. But could it have just been broken by an animal too, right? Yeah, there is that. A big part of tracking is just getting lucky too. We'll assume this is a clue for us for now and keep on. Things are pointing this way. Cass set off again, walking slowly, her eyes darting all over. Two continued on, slowly walking through the darkening woods. Here, relatively near the river, grew mostly leafy trees, casting the forest floor in partial darkness. Although it was midday, the woods were dark like twilight, obfuscating possible clues. The two continued out in silence for ten minutes. Laney didn't want to break Caius's concentration. 
She had a thousand questions, but figured Cass would offer up tips or lessons when she saw fit. Then he just saw a forest floor. Trees, twigs, leaves, needles, an insect here and there. How could Cass see anything of note? Then he had only learned what most of these things were and were called in the last few days being on the road. She wasn't even entirely sure that what was ordinary, much less outside of that. Lenny stopped trying to look for something she didn't see and enjoyed the view as she walked instead. Their path led them around a huge boulder blocking whatever Cass was following. She stopped and leaned on the massive rock. The moss-covered boulder easily stuck two and a half meters out of the ground. The trees didn't grow within a few meters of it. Lenny assumed the rock continued far underground in all directions, making it impossible for roots to take hold. Let's take a small break, Cass said, sitting on a part of the boulder that jutted out. I need to give my eyes a rest. It's hard to see in here. It is shockingly dark. Having much luck? Oh, a little. I've seen a few things, so I have a point. Did you feel that? Feel what? The ground just shook. There, again. You feel it that time? Nope. You sure you don't need to lie down or something? Cass stood up. Now it stopped. Maybe it's the boulder. The two put their hands in the huge gray rock. I feel something. Then he closed her eyes to focus on feeling the stone. It's rhythmic. Yeah. Cass agreed, closing her eyes as well. Almost like it's... Breathing. breathing. I haven't spent much time out here yet, but I thought rocks didn't breathe. Lainey said, taking her hands off the rock and stepping back. What is this? I have spent a lot of time out here, and I've never heard of a breathing rock. Cass said, also stepping back. The two took another few steps back when the boulder began moving. It rocked side to side, slowly at first, then it built up momentum. Mosses fell off as it crashed into the nearest trees. Soil and roots fell from it as it lifted off the ground. The boulder was now four meters tall and rumbled as it continued to move and seemed to change shape. The boulder began to turn around. Lanny and Cass drew their swords. Lanny looked at their weapons and back at the boulder. I don't know how much help these are going to be. Lanny shouted over the grating and rumbling of the boulder thing. I don't know how to make it all glowy fire like Ronan does. Before Cass had a chance to reply, the boulder finished turning on the spot. Lainey and Cass were amazed. The stone had a face and resembled a human form with arms and legs coming out from the massive central torso. Thick mosses fell from the face imitating a beard. The arms of the thing were long and ended in huge, wide hands. The legs were short and stumpy, widely set. It had a black, deep-set eyes, and Lainey noticed Ronan's white blade reflected in them. I... I think I know what it is. Cass sheathed her sword. We need to run, now! We can take it! Lainey growled, holding Roland's sword tightly. No, don't be stupid. You just said the swords are useless. It's an ogre. Run! The ogre's arm smashed down to the ground between the two girls. Cass and Lainey barely had time to spin in their heels before the ogre tried to crush them to pulp. A colossal blow sent shockwaves through the soft earth, throwing both girls off their feet. Lainey landed hard on her face, her nose spurting blood. Cass spun in the air and landed on her backside, her tailbone stinging in pain. Lainey looked over at Cass, the huge arm between them. Cass's eyes were wide, her mouth open in a silent scream. Just go! I'll find you! Just go! Cass nodded without looking away from the ogre and scrambled to her feet. The ogre's other arm slammed down, sending Cass tumbling again, but missed her by inches. She screamed a real scream and crawled away on her hands and feet as fast as she could. Lainey lost sight of her among the trees almost instantly. The ogre's face turned toward her. A strange roar erupted from its mouth, sounding like the cry of a huge animal falling down a rock slide. Lainey's short hair was blown back from the bellow, but she used the moment to get some distance between them. She sheathed Ronan's sword as she turned to run. Lainey sprinted away from the monster, realizing Cass was right and it was a foe beyond them. She had no idea how fast the thing was, but from what she had learned from Brutus and Ronan, ogres were hideously strong, and this one was apparently made of rock. Or turned into rock? 
Lainey shook her head as she ran, realizing it didn't matter right now. She just needed to get away from it before she was pulverized. Lainey risked a look back and saw the monster was following, looming over her with its mass. It was faster than she had hoped. It wasn't quick, but it was so large that each of its steps ate up meters. It used its long arms like a second set of legs and moved with the dexterity that belied its form. Lainey ran as fast as she was able, constantly looking down for roots, but also looking up for low branches. Her foot cut on a root as she was looking up at those branches and she went tumbling down a steep bank. She cursed as she fell down the hill in painful crashes and rolls. She finally came to a stop splashing into a shallow creek. The world stopped spinning around her a few moments later. She looked back at the hill she had fallen down and saw the ogre was still stomping after her. She gained some ground on it at least, she thought. She got to her feet as quick as she could, her mind racing. Obviously she needed to run, but what way? Falling down the hill got her sense of direction all confused. She tried to remember if she ever saw a stream like this flowing into set, but had no idea. She cursed again, wishing she had learned more about making her way in the wilds over the last week. Her mind was made up for her as the ogre made its way down the hill. She had to move. She chose to follow the stream to her left, running alongside the water with the weak current. The stream bed was clearer than the woods above and she was able to make good time. Her left shoulder ached from her fall and she realized her forehead was bleeding and she tasted blood mixed with sweat that ran into her mouth. She wiped at it with her forearm as she ran. The crashing of the ogre behind her sounded distant and less frequent than before. She felt safe enough to slow to a quick walk. She needed to save some energy in case it caught up and she had to run again. She knew she had to get to set. She would be safe there. The high walls and garrison would give them a fighting chance. She decided then that if she accidentally led the ogre to set, she would help fight it, then find Ronan. Lainey finally made her way back to set as the sun was nearing the horizon. She was shocked that it was so late in the day. She hadn't realized she had been fleeing the yogurt for so long. She got to the gate and found it closed. Hey, let me back in. She called to whoever might be there. Who is it? Someone shouted back. My name is Lanny. Lord Mel is letting me stay at the den. Oh, the human girl. Where's the other one? Why are you bleeding? She hasn't made it back yet? Lanny shouted up to the unseen guard, ignoring their other question. Uh, nope, just you. Open it up now. Gates started opening, but Lainey turned around to look at the forest across the fields. Get back soon. Whew. I had forgotten what was going to happen. And I was like, it's boulder. And then it started to move and I was like, oh, yeah. So what I, I was remember. this boulder before it was an ogre? You don't what? know that yet. Why not? We don't know yet. Yeah. So that means we find out. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Just kidding. Yeah, we tune we in do next find time. Out. I don't know if it happens next time, but Is yeah. Is it a minotaur? It wasn't described as having like horns. So not saying it wasn't a minotaur, but there's not evidence to suggest it was a minotaur. Gotcha. But it was something big, though. It turned, was it a bear? A Usaris? A bear yeah. primal? I mean, I guess it could be a bear. Bears, uh, animals could turn into ogres, too. Ogres are people, too, you know. Ogres are not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ogres are pretty much mindless beasts. But they were something at some they point. They were yes. something else before, yeah. They Ogres, were a little something, something. Ogres weren't just born. You can't have ogres make baby ogres. <laughs> it well, doesn't work. But if an ogre bites a baby, doesn't that ogre make a baby ogre? Oh, okay. Ooh, I guess in that ooh. sense, yeah. Okay. Just about any ogre butting a baby would probably be able to just Eat it in one Eat bite, the though. baby. Yeah, because they always get bigger. Even a goblin ogre is not small. Oh, gotcha. My God, could you imagine just a giant baby <laughs> turned ogre running around, but they're still like baby mentality. <laughs> they just want to eat all the cords. 
God, sometimes <laughs> toddlers are like ogres. Oh my God. Yeah. And they're oh. so strong. Like Felix is shockingly strong. He is stronger than you would expect. Yeah. Especially when they get a clamp on your face in some way. <laughs> yeah. Like, or grab your beard. Fish hook you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Primals are void born, right? No. No. Just orcs and goblins yeah. and other things of that. Right. Persuasion. We haven't seen other things yet, but I'll, I will tell you there are like trolls are, are void, the, are void spawn. Are there hobgoblins? Um, I hadn't thought about them yet. Are there moblins or mites? I don't know what mites are. Are moblins from Zelda? Yeah, probably. <laughs> mites are like really tiny. They're like gnome goblins. They like live in trees. They have little hats. They're furry and blue. Oh, sounds like I would hate them. Yeah. They're like fleas. Honestly, they're Ugh. like they're like flea goblins. Oh, that sounds Ooh. awful. Yeah. Um. So Danny said she had forgotten about that. Obviously, she's she's read through this. Of course, she was a beta reader. But Tim hasn't read this yet. Was this? I couldn't read see your reaction as you're reading it. There's a lot of narration at that point. But what did you think of the an ogre showing up? I don't like that they could just be hanging out like as rocks, like wherever. Uh, that's not cool. <laughs> um, but I, I, I mean, I liked that we saw one. I liked that it had a beard, and the beard is what makes me have the most questions. Because <laughs> I was like, well, I don't think there's dwarves, so um, it's probably not a dwarf one. But what else has beards? Oh. Uh, Beers, beers, bears, beets, bears, bears. Maybe it's a goat. Maybe it's a goat primal that Ooh. turned into uh, oh, an God, ogre. With those freaky eyes. Oh, but it also didn't have horns. What has beards but not horns? What doesn't have horn beards? <laughs> right, says it has thick mosses that fell from its face that imitated a beard. Gotcha. So I was. I imagine that kind of like a tree beard from Lord of the Rings, where he has like a beard, but it's made up of. Mosses and lichens and things like that. But yeah, he definitely has something hanging off of its stone face. So we don't just hear about ogres. We learned about ogres from Brutus way back in like chapter four or five. That was there for a little bit of like foreshadowing. I'm sure people assume that we're going to see actually see an ogre at some point. But I, I had kind of forgotten about him, honestly. So it, it had been kind of that perfect amount of time where it had just kind of drifted into long term memory. And right. then you know, snapped back to reality. Whoops. There goes gravity. Right. I was hoping that that's kind of, I didn't want to talk about ogres. Like when we learned about ogres, I wanted to be early enough in the book that it was kind of like, Oh, that's kind of a neat thing in this world. That's cool. And then when one actually shows up, it's like, Oh crap. I forgot about those things. They're awful. And there's a real big one. The big boy. Yeah. So it has to be something you said that they get bigger as they turn into an ogre. So it was something that was already big. To or start with. or could it have been something medium sized? I mean, it could be. Our, could have been a boat. Oh, you know how much we've always wanted an <laughs> ogre of one of those. Um, an ogre boat, a boger. Ah, oh, boger, a boger. <laughs> um, two questions. One, I forgot them both already. Two, <laughs> I'm pretty certain that they were good. <laughs> Can you have centipede ogres? Can you have bee ogres? Oh, it was along that vein, but it was an actual question. <laughs> Again, a bee ogre is a boger. A bee ogre. Bee ogre. Bee ogre. Bjorn. Bee ogre. Yeah, so obviously that was a real big thing for this chapter. We'll have to see what happens with that. I will say the oh, we're not done with the ogre. I mean. It's not ogre yet. It's not ogre yet. <laughs> um, what did you guys we're think We're going of? into ogre time with this one. <laughs> oh, no. It's going to be Stop, full of ogre, ogre puns the rest of the time. Yeah. What do we think of the mansha so far? 
I think it's cool. I don't like that Toro just keeps yelling at Brutus. <laughs> like, who are you? What are you? I don't know. Just tell me. That he's I- like, who are you? And he says, I'm a bounty hunter. And he's like, no. And then he does it again. And he's like, who are you? And he says, I'm a warrior. And he's like, no. I think. I I'm, see- I'm Brutus. I don't know. <laughs> we see a vision. We think it's Ogre, but it's not. Then another vision happens. It looks like it's getting to the point where it's probably going to be Ogre soon, but it's not. It just keeps going yep. and going. Yep. <laughs> no one knows when it's going to be Ogre. Now, is the timeline of the mancha um, and the timeline of Cass and Lanny going out into the woods, are those like parallel timelines and it's happening at the same time? Or is- I assume this is like ancestral, like way back in the past, your forefathers fighting goblins. Right. But like the amount anywhere. of time that it's taking. Oh, gotcha. is it taking Brutus the same amount of time to go through this as it's taking them in the woods? Is it? He's having a vision. Yeah, no, I know. He got powder blown in his face and he went into this dark room. So is a vision like dreams where they say that like most dreams actually only last for like two to three seconds or something like that? It's a good question. So like, has he been in there for two minutes? Right. Has it been seconds or has it been hours? Has it been days? Eka's just throwing together a salad <laughs> for when they're done because they're going to be hungry. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I need to know. There was a couple of things that were interesting how they worked out, how that scene seems to me, it's very similar to the scene in Black Panther where he has a vision and he sees his father with the heart shaped herb and whatnot. Yeah. But I wrote this before I saw Black Panther. Right. Mm. I was like, oh, they took my idea <laughs> again. It always happens to you all the time. Yeah. So a couple big things. Um, so this chapter is called Discoveries and often works out that the titles, of the chapter actually has multiple meanings in this case. Right. Brutus is discovering himself in his past mm-hmm. and the girls discovered an ogre in the woods. Yeah. Oh, there Oops. were, there were coveries that were dissed. Oh yeah. <laughs> Discovery. The skogeries. I don't think that word works like that. Shh. Who's the English teacher? Yeah, she has yeah, right? a degree. She knows. I have two degrees. The words, Three degrees. The words do what she wants them to do. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if we've done this in a couple episodes, but what are some predictions from Tim? To do with the mancha and the ogre. Also, Cass is missing. Apparently, she didn't get back to t- to the town by the time Lanny did. Yeah, she's dead. She's lost in the woods, she like Kristoff. Yeah, her life too. is ogre now. Oh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. Uh, just as her and, and Lanny were getting somewhere too. That's a shame. So that's my prediction. Uh, Cass is gone. Brutus becomes a priest and gives up his violent life and becomes a pacifist. They're bold predictions. Yep. Uh, Bren. I don't see anything going poorly for him. He seems like a really good guy. I like him a lot. Um, He seems on the up and up. He helps people. He talks to people and he protects his woods. You know what I mean? Those are all really important attributes. Fair. Um, Also, I do have to say, I want to say on air that your portrayal of Bren is pretty amazing. So good. Thank you. I didn't feel that this one was as good as the last chapter, but. We'll do better. I, I want to. <laughs> I'm sorry, boss. We um, have very high levels of expectation around here at BFE. Yeah. Get it together in the last three chapters. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, Bren is misunderstood, probably has good intentions. He's probably like a uh, one of those characters you don't really trust at first, but he's probably a good guy deep down. He just wants to make sure that... Everyone gets fed. I bet that he was lacking a father figure growing up. Probably. You know, and so he feels like he needs to overcompensate for that with like anger 
and like distancing himself from others so that he's not vulnerable. Sounds like he's probably really like really loyal too. you just have to earn his trust. You know what he would benefit from some really great pets. Like somebody like petting him on the head. Oh, I thought oh. Like him having no a him pet. not not him having pets, but him getting him like, getting some head <laughs> pats would obviously yes. probably and like maybe a little like under the chin scratch. Yeah, like all oh, triangle shaped head. Yeah, come on, that's what I would do to be able to scratch underneath his chin. Nice. I'm sure he would love that. He definitely wouldn't bite you with all those little sharp teeth he has. Mm. Um, and the ogre and Jork uh, go on a cross country road trip. Um, to find a brotherhood of traveling shorts. <laughs> Wait, so are they going to do this in the void? Mm-hmm. Yep. They're that's void where, born. That's where Jork is. Is in the void? He went to the void because he got dead. I mean, everything returns to the void. Yeah, pretty much. So, and things come from the void, Return right? To sender, so that y'all. means he's not really gone. He's all <laughs> around us. <laughs> in a way, he was gone while he was in like... The material realm. Well, we are living in a material world and he is a material girl. Jorkis. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, Fair. That's great. So just a reminder, head on down, go visit our friends, Sheldon Jay and Karen Plankton at the Chum Bucket. Just they have the cleanest facilities in town and just go say hey from your friends at BFE. Sounds like good advice. Let's rock over Seattle. Rock on Beijing. Fiber one. The juice is loose. much for listening why don't you go and check out all the other great shows that the professional casual network has to offer including season one of the space between presents i saw a tiger which follows the netflix smash series tiger king and details the acid washed antics of joe exotic carol baskin jeff lowe as well as others this season we're taking a deep dark dive into the four-part netflix docuseries jeffrey epstein filthy rich big fiction energy is our audio drama pod in which Tim, Danny, and myself tell the story of Lainey, the Girl Without Fear, a fantasy novel by Dan. A grim podcast of perilous adventure is the Professional Casual Network's Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Actual Play podcast. We're playing through The Enemy Within, which is widely considered one of the best campaigns of any RPG. Join Dan as the GM as Danny, Tim, Alexander P. Nelson, and JB try to survive the perils of the old world. And if you needed more deep dives, also check out The Space Between, which is a discussion and review of the best games, comics, and nerd movies of today and yesteryear. We also have Elite Eight Showdown with high-octane host Big Chuck and his research team. Join him while he financially ruins his partner Tim and completes an eight-team tournament bracket that could be about anything and everything. Lastly, we have Professionally Asked, Casually Answered, a totally real, totally fake advice show where we take questions and topics from you, our listeners, and do our best not to completely ruin your lives. Danny, where could people follow us or ask us questions for Professionally Asked, Casually Answered? I'm so glad you asked that, Tim. You can go ahead and email us questions. Our email address is theprofessionalcasual at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Instagram at theprofessionalcasual. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash professionalcasual. Twitter, we're at Top Tier Casual. 
Our website is theprofessionalcasual.com. On Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash professionalcasual. And you can also check out Lindsay's Instagram at lindsayfphotography, where you can check out all of her great photos of abandoned places and events. What are some other things that people could find on our Patreon, Danny? They can find Sarah's doodles. They can find different vlogs. They can find lots of polls. I know Big Chuck's got a ton of stuff up there. It's all just a wild time. Extra bonus content, all of those things. 